Welcome to Darkly Lit, where we wander through the woods, listening for the howls of the Rougarou and making sure we have powder from the salt bone we scraped from our elbows. I am your host, Kayla King. I'm joined by my other two co-hosts. We have Sade. Hello, everyone. And David. Can I get an amen, brothers and sisters? <laughs> <laughs> we just finished reading Empire Wild uh, by Cherie Dimeline. I haven't done a summary in a while, so I believe I think it's my turn to do so. The story follows um, Joan, who is a uh, Canadian indigenous woman um, from the Métis tribe. And she's been searching for her lost husband for almost a year. He walked out on her after a fight uh, when he tried to argue to, about um, selling her father's land and was never seen from again. Until one day, after being hung over in a Walmart parking lot, she finds a revival tent and sees her husband. However, he claims he's not her husband, that he actually, is, his name is Reverend Eugene Wolf, and he's a traveling preacher. And according to them, he's been traveling with us for three years. There's no way it could be your husband. But he looks exactly like Victor, so she, she knows in her heart for it to be true. Most of the book is like her investigating the revival tent, um, trying to figure out ways to get back her husband, Victor. From here on out, I'm going to refer to her husband as Victor because throughout it, he's called Eugene Wolf and Victor. So. And the first time she goes, uh, she's joined by her nephew, Zoo, or cousin. They're, uh, it's her cousin. They're cousins. They're cousins. Yeah. It, it's, it's difficult because uh, Zeus is 12 years old. Um, who sh she kind of raised for the most part because his Zeus's mother kind of went from man to man to man and had a variety of children. And his dad is not really in the picture because he already got the child that he wanted because Zeus was not the child he wanted. It's kind of sad, unfortunately. Along the way, uh, we see different points of views, um, mainly Joan's points, point of view. But we also see, surprisingly, the point of view of Thomas Heiser, who is the con man kind of running the show, who we throughout it th assume is a Rougarou, but turns out he's not a Rougarou. He's just... Uh, he's a wolf singer. He's a wolf singer. So he encourages people to turn into Rougarous, basically. Uh, we surprisingly follow Cecile's point of view, too, who turns out to be kind of homicidal to the point where she burns down a house because she's mad that Victor doesn't want to sleep with her. This book gets wild, everybody. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, this leads to her death in the process. And in the end, it's Joan versus Victor versus Heiser, as well as the fourth Rougarou. And it turns out Victor himself is, about, is a Rougarou and is about to become a full-fledged one. But Joan is able to stop it in time. I'm just going to summarize it right now because there's so much details mm -hmm. that I could go into. Uh, however, it ends sadly with uh, Zeus because he has basically felt left alone and has come to hate his mom, has now turned into a Rougarou. I think, yeah, I'll stop there and then we can discuss what we thought of the book. Well said. Yeah, general thoughts on the book? Overall, I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed the characters probably most of all. Uh, I think that's what saved a lot of it for me. But there were a lot of things that came out predictable and unsurprising. And like the twists and turns were just mild bends. 
like slight curves for me. Overall, I'm not angry. I enjoyed it. I agree. It was an enjoyable book. Um, how I first learned about it was I was looking up uh, Silvia Moreno Garcia's book recommendations. And for those who don't know or remember, she was the one who wrote Mexican Gothic, which was a book we adored. Mm-hmm. So I was I was curious to see what books she recommended. And this was one of them. And yeah, it's very enjoyable. I think this feels like less of a story driven book than it is more of a character driven novel or a variety of character. I think she's the author is very good with characters like you. I don't want to say you feel for them, but they feel more real to me than usual. I think the thing that I really didn't like is the ending. I think the ending is just very dissatisfying. And we'll get into that later on. For the most part, I, I mean, I think I enjoyed it. I um, I got the audiobook for it, and I kept wanting to listen, which is a good sign, so. You mentioned one of the qualities of the audiobook was who was uh, narrating it, too. <laughs> yeah, uh, for the audiobook, the narrator is Michelle St. John. For those who don't know, she was the voice of Nakoma, or Pocahontas' best friend, in the 1996 animated film Pocahontas. Which, Sade was on uh, an Animusings episode with David and I, and we discussed that film in detail. <laughs> she sounds a lot like Nakoma. Like, uh, Nakoma is her real voice, basically. And there's points where my brain was like, this is kind of odd hearing her talk about sex and stuff like that. But that eventually, <laughs> that that dropped very quickly because mm. um, she's a very good narrator. I think she did great as a narrator. I think maybe I didn't watch Pocahontas as much as I thought because I did even after you mentioned uh, that connection, it sounded familiar from the beginning, but it didn't over, like, I wasn't, like, picturing, say, that character, you know, talking about, you know, seducing her husband back, you know. <laughs> but I, yeah, the narration uh, was definitely a highlight of the audiobook and just, like, my experience with the story overall, which is great if you enjoy audiobooks. Uh, not so great if like that is like what made me come back to keep listening Mm -hmm. definitely was a story where I was like not dreading like forcing myself to put the audiobook back on where other books have (laughs) made me feel that way same it was easy to put back on yeah easy to get back to it's funny because it's hard to say what's good about this book but I keep coming back to it I keep wanting to listen more to it so there Mm -hmm. it must be doing something right David, you read the uh, actual physical form of the book. I did. And, you know, I actually sped read through most of it. Or I marathoned it. I shotgunned it in one uh, sitting. And you know what? It did a lot. It did a good job keeping my attention, keeping me interested. I will agree. I think the strongest aspect of the book is the characters, and not to mention the voice. Um, I think every, every character is voiced distinctly enough that you can, like, tell them apart. And I don't think any of them are written too similar in that sense. So that helped a lot in terms of the believability. And yeah, while the ending left a little to be desired, I really enjoyed getting there. Honestly, I think it's a really tight, uh, tight little novel, personally. I don't want to say I disliked the ending because I was just overall just like, okay, that's the end. Cool, I'm done with this. <laughs> it was just a very neutral feeling at the end of like, okay, good, I'm done with the book. I can go do other things now. <laughs> Which I hate saying. But yeah, no, uh, now that you guys are making me think about it, I'm just kind of like, hmm, yeah, okay, there, there could have been more to the end. I think it's the fact that it's just Zeus, who unfortunately didn't get to do as much as I wish he could have. 
Mm. He, he has an interesting backstory and I do feel for him, but I feel like he could have been able to do more. And when he was turned into a Ruguru, I'm like, really? Why? I, I get why, uh, but like why, what caused it, but it just doesn't feel strong enough. We don't see him really yell at his mom. He just tells it to Joan. And so it doesn't have that punch of, oh, that's why he turned into a Ruguru. So it feels almost a little tacked on. Well, can we talk for a second about the the process of what makes a Rougarou in this uh, this lore? Because um, the interesting thing is the Rougarou is very much a, um, much like the, you know, the book is describing how the Matisse are a descendants of people who were indigenous and French. The, the Rougarou is a is sort of a American descendant of the uh, the European Loupgarou, with obviously with the trappings of it having changed culturally over time to work with the local folklore and traditions. The thing that sets up a Rougarou is that if it, you become a Rougarou if you do something particularly bad or whatever in the stories that get set up. And it feels like at least for two, there's there's three Rougarou in this story, which I thought was interesting. I did think that part was interesting because I was expecting at least one. Then we got two, and I'm like, okay, that's fine. And then we got a third, and I'm like, oh, okay, sure. Does it feel to you like the circumstances of what makes a Rougarou are kind of mild in most cases? Two of them, one of them I understand based on what we know about him later. But for Zeus and Victor, like, did it seem a little extreme that they would start to go through this transformation just because of these incidents that took place? So actually, one of the questions we do get that Dan asks... This is this is why it's sometimes tough to do questions at the end. But uh, do you mind if I say Dan's statement now, since it's already being addressed? Yeah, go for I it. I don't mind. The main question I have relates to Victor's transformation. I may have missed something, but was he just turned into a Rougarou for suggesting Joan consider selling her family land? I kept waiting to hear that he actually sold it or done something nefarious, but from what I could tell, he just brought it up and they fought. Is that enough to Rougarize someone? 600k is a lot of dough, even if even if it's Canadian. <laughs> I mean, I think the horrific part about it is that it's, one, it's her father's land, and it's important to her. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I think I get it almost a little more than I get it with Zeus. Zeus just hates his mom. But then again, his mom is kind of, um, look, everybody's got issues in this story. It makes a little more sense for me with Zeus, actually, than it does with Victor. With, like, Victor, it's like, okay, he knew this land was important to Joan, and there was this, this like, betrayal of him just even suggesting it to Joan. So in a way, he's, like, hurt, you know, the woman that he loves. And instead of, you know, apologizing and being like, okay, no, I fucked up, that was wrong of me to say, he left her. That's true. It kind of, like, severed this connection in that moment. Even if it was, like, brief and he intended to come back after checking the traps, it was, like, in that moment, this trust between them has been broken and shattered. Okay. So that's where um that's what's making sense to me. And in terms with Zeus, you know, we, it's not just that he has come to the conclusion that he just hates his mother. It's the fact that he has also conveyed this to Joan with that same level of trust of like, I hate my mother and I know that's wrong. And but he can convey this to Joan with so much trust because she's like a surrogate mother to him. Mm-hmm. And Joan abandons him. To go deal with Victor, and it's out of mm. Zeus's safety, but in that moment, he's a kid. He's like, oh, the person that I did trust, that I thought I could depend on, has also abandoned me now. I'm just gonna walk home by myself, and like, no one is out there in the world for me, so now he has also severed 
any connection that he has to people. That's a good point. That's a really good point, actually. And I'm ass- doesn't he also, when he texts her, that he says, I don't think he says, I hate you, but like, he I remember says- he ca- in all caps, he writes like, this is shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in that moment, you know, he- he would hate her yeah. for betraying him like that. That's also a moment of severed trust. Mm-hmm. It's just tough because he is a 12-year-old kid, but I guess the Rougarou doesn't see age, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> okay, I, I found the text messages real quick. The last one he sends is, you're as bad as my parents. There, there it is. Yeah. And I mean, he said he hates his mother, so... Mm-hmm. Now the one surrogate mother, his father has abandoned him. His mother won't connect with him. Is literally almost next to abandon him, and now Joan has abandoned him. So yeah, he would just be yeah. so. So he turns his back on everybody. Yeah, gives in to the Rougarou inside. Victor is a little more difficult, although for the most part we don't really see Victor's point of view, with the exception of when he's in his mind uh, uh-huh. in the woods with the Rougarou, which are. Th- one of the more scarier parts, okay, when I say scary, I mean, it has the spookier elements. This doesn't mm-hmm. feel like a horror novel. <laughs> no, it definitely wasn't a horror novel. But yeah, the any any scenes that were at least a little unsettling or had that air of just like, oh, this is creepy, was definitely Victor's little hike through his mind forest. Those for me were actually probably the most interesting chapters. I think the ones that I enjoyed the most were Cecile's point of view because (laughs) i didn't expect to see her point of view i thought she was just oh this is another obstacle woman but then it's like oh we have a chapter from her point of view i'm like oh okay and she is not in her right mind i think the one thing that probably the only time that i actually felt discomfort is when and she thinks back to when she was a kid and she killed her hamster just to have this woman who her dad was about to marry Leave, And it's just, oh, shit. The stuff with Cecile was surprisingly good in mm-hmm. terms of how genuinely fucked up it was. And I, I love the fact she just says, I'm going to burn down this place because she was denied by Miss Reverend Eugene Wolf. And I don't know. I don't. Her scenes were so satisfying. And I'm yeah. like, yes, yes, burn down this house. Burn yes, down. yes, murder Ivy with a paperweight. God fucking damn it. I kind of hope she did turn into a Rougarou, but is it only men that turn into Rougarous? Uh, it, 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 you know, that's a reflection of the culture, too. The way men turn into Rougarou is different from maybe the way women do. And it seems like it's a more, a, a more uh, like, almost like masculine thing. It's when men do wrong is when they become Rougarou. Also, I, I, I sent this text to Sade, and then I uh, joked about it with David later. Is it just me, or is there a gay furry scene in this book? <laughs> Like, no, no joke. So there's a scene in one of uh, Victor's woods scenes where he's t- hanging out with the Rougarou and the Rougarou is taking his clothes off and is actually humming like that stripper song or whatever. And then Victor is starting to lose his memory of Joan, but he's also getting turned on by the Rougarou. I'm like, what the fuck is <laughs> happening? <laughs> It's an interesting parallel to, like, Joan trying to seduce him to get him to, like, remember her. Mm -hmm. And then the Rougarou seducing Victor to get him to forget. It it was... I enjoyed it. I did. For other obvious other reasons, too. Um, But I don't know. It made sense to me. Like, because there is, you know, the seduction of just, like, letting it all go and being, like, 
just forget it all. I don't know. I, it was a fun scene. Yeah. Probably my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I completely understand why it's there. It makes perfect sense. It's just yeah. kind of funny because it, like the Rougarous described as this like half wolf, half man, like he's described with fur and everything. And I'm just like, oh my God. And I've been around the internet way too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah even okay even like the for those of us that are like aware of furry culture and just like how we can we can make we can make that joke like haha it's like a gay furry thing yeah. but like that aside like those it was it made it a very jarring scene yeah. yes um so definitely enjoyed that aspect of it this is not poking fun at gay furries out there no 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 wow so much respect for the furry community mm. um because they Enjoy their shit and leave everybody else alone. Like, they just live and let live, and I fucking respect that. And they paid their artists well, too. That's true. Yes. I, <laughs> I remember our friend Randy said his favorite people are the furries because they, they're they the ones that keep paying him to make art. <laughs> Going back to Cecile for a second, like, I wish I had enjoyed her scenes more. But uh, what was a bummer for me was, like, I wanted to see her take down Heiser. Ooh. Oh, that would have been really satisfying. I think that would have been really satisfying, yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. there's parts of the end. The, unfortunately, there's... I mean, I, I'm not fond of Zeus turning into a Rougarou. I get why it happened. Again, I get why these things happen. It just doesn't feel as satisfying as it should. Like, it's the same with, like, the added Rougarou that appeared is it just again it's something that feels a bit tacked on well i mean at least they they kind yeah. of foreshadowed robe a little bit but he felt like he was a, re- a red herring because you don't really talk about robe but that's because robe is just and at least initially just uh mr heiser's uh chauffeur mm-hmm. turns mm-hmm. out he's also a Rougarou. and when you he admits uh what how he became a Rougarou, you totally understand why but he's full-blown like unlike the other characters he's completely been subsumed by the wolf, by the Rougarou within, and has access to the power. Because he, he literally dances his way off screen, <laughs> dances down the road like a good spooky <laughs> dog monster should. Yeah, I think for me, though, my dissatisfaction in the ending comes not from necessarily what happened. Some I felt like we didn't really get the catharsis of having Victor, because we, we spent the whole book with Joan, like, yearning and aching for Victor. And I wanted to at least have, like, just for some sense of it have that sense of relief have them at least have a moment together have you know because god god that longing is really good in this book like it's felt for me mm-hmm. i was like wow mm-hmm. this is um this is good like the, the the book does such a good job with that aspect of it but we go immediately from them rescuing victor to losing zeus and then we never see them again and i just i needed that cathartic sort of unity personally to feel more satisfied at least just for a moment before the thing with zeus kicked in i get the narrative choice to not have that be a case it's almost like being strung along and i can respect that but like um i don't know i i wanted that i really wanted that after everything joan and, and victor had been through i wanted them to have and, and for our sake to have that moment where it's like oh god we're back together again let's forego things and just have a good time <laughs> I don't know, I had this sense of just, like, things are just happening without any real, I don't want to say any real build-up, but, like, I don't know, I just kind of was, like, I don't know. I, overall, I wasn't, like, 
everything that just kept happening, like, oh, now there's another Rougarou, or like, oh, now Victor remembers, like, I, all, all of it was just kind of happening, but not really, like, satisfying. Mm-hmm. One other thing that dawned on me, Joan must have burned through a lot of gas. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, I just thought about this. She mm-hmm. drives home, and then she drives out somewhere, and then she drives home, and then she drives out somewhere. She's, like, driving across most of Canada, it feels like. One thing, too, with uh, that I find interesting is Heiser and his whole plan. So the reason why Victor was basically brainwashed to believe that he's Eugene Wolfe, the Reverend, is because he's his sermons are to convince the indigenous community that, hey, focus on God, focus on Jesus, forgo your beliefs and all that, because there's people trying to mine their lands, um, and Heiser is a part of that, trying to take their land, but because they're so outspoken, I mean, they should be, he's using Victor as a way to basically, as you were to, like, convince them to stop that, come to Jesus, even though he doesn't give a shit about God and all that. It, it, it works better in that way because uh, Victor himself is um, uh, a Métis, indeed. Or he's indigenous? No, no, no he's, 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 he's indigenous, indigenous, but he's not Métis. He's, okay. um, I, I'm trying to remember where he hails from originally. Uh, it's, said, it's said in the book, but all of a sudden it's escaping me. But it's like, the, it's like a similar connection because of, because of his ethnicity, Heiser uses him much like a lot of he the way he uses everybody he's he's a tool he's used for Heiser's purposes and so he brainwashes him and 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 there's another interesting connection because Heiser as you mentioned is a is a wolf singer who is from like some old Germany old, old Bavarian lore which also again tying the myth of the the Rougarou back to the Lupgaru and other like wolf myths of um, Europe it's like suddenly the old world meeting the new world once again, and once again, the old world manipulating the things in the new world. It's like, there's some really good, I think, thematic through lines in this. And mm-hmm. I like the idea that, like, when a couple of different mystical, you know, mystical folklore pieces of culture meet and have this, like, weird cross-correlation, I think that makes for good storytelling sometimes. So it was neat that, like, this Wolf Sanger is here control is trying using his inherent powers to control, uh, you know, Canadian Rougarou. Mm-hmm. Like, I, th- I thought that was cool. And again, mm-hmm. mirroring sort of the, the fusion of like French and, and indigenous here. Everything's this big pastiche. Damn. If I may, I mm-hmm. want to talk about another positive I had in the book. And that's that Ajin fucking rules. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed the family members. Mm. Like th- that family dinner is uh, between Joan and the rest of her family felt realistic and i don't know why it was the one that i'm like i think it was that scene that i was just like oh i think i'm gonna like this i think we we don't really get like an in-depth look at some of the rest of her family but the like dynamic of like the way they interact during that dinner and like any other time feels so genuine that you like feel like you get a good idea of the characters yes um that was yeah i really enjoyed like the just the the family dynamics because it felt that part felt relatable yeah it's we've had would think a lot of people have had tense dinners like that i mean i don't have i've never had a situation where a grandparent tried to cut off someone's hair (laughs) but the um, that scene along with like other scenes between the families you can clearly see that their dynamic you can clearly see the relationship between everybody and I don't want to say it makes them more likable, but it does make them more relatable. More mm-hmm. human. More human, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And like Ajit's not technically part of the the family, but um, is definitely like a part of the community family, and I uh, like that. It's a small town, like that. Yeah. Every if you're from a small town, everybody is family. Well, and it's especially true here. That's just the again the relationships with the characters is really good, and I like the the quirks and flaws and foibles of everybody. I just like the special shout out to Ajit because she's sort of the one with the answers, but I like how. She's a powerful character while being a toothless old woman, which I thought was really cool. I mean, at the end of the story, she's she's got a, a, a fucking booty call with her in bed. I thought that was awesome. Should we go to questions? Or do we have any other thoughts or things we want to bring up first? I think I'm ready for some questions. Yeah, let's do some questions. Uh, so we have uh, some questions from Bringer. Thank you, Bringer. What's with the loop that the Ruguru keeps you in is taking you to become the wolf or does it turn you and then leave i think there's more than one ruguru that's what i think what oh like uh i i i I, the impression i'm getting from what bringer is saying here is is there one ruguru that does this to everybody and then it leaves to go find other prey or is it like it converts you and then you become a ruguru because what i'm the way i see it is there's more than one ruguru is like an idea it's like Mm -hmm. something that spreads like a like like a sickness almost like, when these things go wrong, when people go wrong, they be- they have the potential to become Ruguru. So there's, like, one universal kind of idea of this one mythical figure, but it's actually something that can happen to to anyone in this case if they if they give in to that part of themselves that would allow the to basically invite the Ruguru in. Is that what his question was? I was kind of understanding it. It is word real. What's with the loop that the... Ruguru keeps you in. Oh, is he talking about the woods? I think he means like the forest that that Victor kept finding himself walking through the same part over and over. Is it taking over you to become the wolf or does it turn you and then leave? Oh, like is the Ruguru in this woods you or what you could you're going to become or is it a separate Ruguru? That's its own thing. I think we're all answer the question and then I'll give an answer for another question. Okay. But I think we're all interpreting this as a different question. Okay, so what I'm I'm thinking is that so you have Victor in his um forest and there's the Ruguru with him. Is this his basically the Ruguru that he's going to become? Is it him, basically? Or is it an a Ruguru that's just trying to tempt him? I think that's what he's trying to ask. Oh. And I think this Ruguru is actually what Victor will become if he would have succumbed to it. Basically, this is the Ruguru that's now inside him, trying to convince him, hey, let's, let me, let's, I'll become the beast, become me, you know. Uh, At least that's what I think. Like he's kind of battling his inner demon, like he's battling himself. Yeah, yeah, it's a demon that's basically infested him, is my thought. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, the way I interpreted this question is, what is this actual loop of forest? And in the Rougarou, is it, like, gonna physically leave you in this loop when it takes over oh. you? Oh! I, I think that's what, so, like... It could, I mean, that might be the question. It, it is worded kind of strangely, so we could, we could try and answer that as well. <laughs> My thoughts on that version of the question is that this, that loop, that forest loop is all in Victor's mind. Um, of, like, him being slowly taken over, of losing himself, losing his way, losing himself, and then being confronted with, like, what he will become. Um, I don't think that loop is, like, a physical place. I think it would have, once he became the Ruguru, it would, you know, 
he'd be done in that place, in that space because you now he's free to go wherever he pleases as as, as a Rougarou. Mm-hmm. That's how I interpreted those scenes that we were inside Victor's mind. Yeah, yeah. I, that's what I thought. Or yeah, that I thought it's like deep in his subconscious because right now, yeah, exactly. Right now, Victor is brainwashed. He thinks he's Eugene Wolf, but Victor is still inside him, but is mm-hmm. on able to uh get out although you know what this this has a lot of parallels to the movie get out now that it's... Huh? the the woods are the sunken he was in place. the sunken place yes. <laughs> 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 i mean to be, be fair um zeus ended up in a very similar dark forest so mm-hmm. I, I think it is in their um it, it it's in their minds and right now the ruru is basically that beast inside them trying to take over and become a full-fledged Rougarou. Bringer continues, Zeus was almost entirely unnecessary to this book other than to have him turn at the end, which then begs the question, how did he get back home so fast? I don't know. Well, when we saw, remember, we saw uh, Robe travel pretty quickly by dancing down the road and like flying off into the distance. Oh, yeah! Rougarou can go real fast. (laughs) Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, I don't think he was almost entirely unnecessary. Yeah, I I think that's a little bit of a disservice to Zeus. I think he did serve as like this tether of keeping Joan grounded when she was like at her most distraught. I think even Aegean says something like, you need to take him with you because he will give you a reason to come back. Mm -hmm. I do feel like though he, he could have been more involved towards the end in like all the chaos or like in some way. Like, maybe he wasn't because we wanted that severed connection of him feeling abandoned by Joan. Um, I don't know. I do feel like he was a little underutilized, but I understand, like, the purpose that he served. I completely agree that he was absolutely underutilized, but I understand why he was there. He really was Joan's touchstone to reality. Because for the most part, she really does become obsessed with, I need to get Victor back. I need to get Victor back. And he does ground her and actually having a kid in like these situations usually and you can tell um zeus almost gets in to see victor but he isn't unfortunately stopped but there is that sort of well he is a kid so can't fully disagree with the fact he's saying that's his uh uncle bringer also says i liked the theme of old versus new religion and customs i mean i guess i can see the theme of old religion and new religion yeah you can see how Christianity is being utilized once again as a tool for someone who is a powerful charlatan. So, uh, yeah, friggin' mega churches. Well, in this case, revival ministers. And then uh, Bringer also says the big bad being a wolf whisper was really lackluster and made the stakes not be that high at the end. Weird that they let him live when he literally confesses to tricking the natives into giving away their land. Did they confirm that he lived? I don't think they did. No. No, I don't think. We never see him again after that. He's just seemingly dead in the back seat of the car. I remember that's what I remember. And like honestly, the the risk that they run is if he is, he can try and control mm. like with just a word, he might be able to control Victor again. So it's probably mm-hmm. better to get the fuck that's out where of there. They leave him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was kind of for me. I took it as like leave him to his fate kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like if he survives this crash he survives if he doesn't it's good (laughs) but yeah just leave him to his own fate and and then also let's not forget that one one of the um things that gets revealed at the end is that victor killed joan's grandmother when he was turning into a ruguru 
Uh-huh. Kind of like, oh, turned into a puppy and then just lost control. And this led to the death of, um, unfortunately, uh, Joan's grandmother. And I think if he would have just killed Heiser, it kind of would have just cemented this sort of like, mm, are you really a good person? Are you not? By just letting him to his fate, I think that makes more sense. That's why I really wanted Cecile to be the one to kill Heiser. Because, like, one, he also, like, really underestimated her. Yes. Um, so that would have been just so gratifying. How how soon did you guys figure out, oh, Victor's the, the Ruguru and he killed Grandma? Uh, I completely, not gonna lie, I kind of forgot about Grandma for a while, so I didn't think about it. Up until, like, I realized, oh, look, he, oh, he's turning into a Ruguru, do, 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 and then Grandma gets brought up, and I'm like, oh, that's, mm, that's right, oh, okay. So, I didn't think about it, because, like, Grandma's death kind of gets, it's brought up, but then is dropped for a long period of time, and then brought up again at that moment. I'll tell you what. Uh, in my on my read, I did not think Heiser was the Rougarou. That felt too obvious. Even though I was again making yeah. the connection back to the Loop Garou, um, I'm like, okay, it might have been. But then they threw that little curveball of like setting up Robe to be the one, since both Victor and Robe have like cracked front teeth. Which the Rougarou that yeah. Heiser meets in the flashback, I'm like, oh, okay, they wanted us to think it was Victor, but it's actually Robe. And then Psych, no, it was Victor, like you were thinking. And I'm like, oh, real, okay, okay. Okay, so again, that's why I say Rogue almost served. As, Rogue almost served as like a red herring than a, <laughs> than a character. But you know, mm. I mean, I honestly assume assumed that uh, Victor was a Rougarou or is about to become a Rougarou, and then Heiser is also a Rougarou. I thought there was multiple already going to be multiple Rougarous, but when he- it turns out, oh, Heiser's not a Rougarou. Okay, sure. I, I mean, the closest thing I could argue is that he wouldn't have been... If he had been some sort of shape-shifting monster, he wouldn't have been a Rougarou. He would have been a Loop-Garou. <laughs> Which looks like a Rougarou, but it's got a little little mustache and a beret. <laughs> Mon dieu. And then... Um, okay, I'm going to say two questions. Uh, so this is Bringer's last question, but uh, Feng Sui has the same one, so... Uh, Bringer asks, the heck is a salt bone? It sounds like a tumor, but it can't be right. To which Fang Sui says, okay, potential first question for the episode, or if I'm just being dense, we can just run through it now. The heck are salt bones supposed to be? I'm so confused. And Googling salt bones or Native American salt bones isn't helping me be any less confused than Joan thinking they are for soup. So I had to look this up. He's right. Salt bones aren't a legit thing. Yes, Bone powder is used to uh, for, like, medicines and protection and stuff like that. If I look up salt bone and indigenous orbitees, it immediately goes to Empire Wild. I think she came up with that. That's definitely a possibility. I mean, unless there's some... That she's delving into some deep lore that we wouldn't know. And that's possible. It might not be on the internet, but... From what I gather of the idea of a salt bone is that it's an extra bone that grows from someone and then it can be taken off and then be used as a powder for protection. Or It's supposed to be like crazy good medicine. Yes. And it ties in with a lot of, you know, one of those shared cultural things is that salt is a classic symbol of purity and warning. So bone salt has got to be even more significant in this case. 
I'm going to use my cheese grater to make some bone salt. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought it was neat. I thought it was, I definitely hadn't heard of that idea before, but the idea that this big lump of bone grew on uh, uh, Mir's head and fell off, and they use it to to ultimately be a, a barrier. That was kind of cool. I did mention Dan's question, but I do have a couple comments from him. All right. He says, I like this one. It started off a little slow for me, but I ne- and I never fully got to know some of the characters, Joan's family members, but the bulk of it was pretty engaging for me. I had a few nitpicks throughout, but nothing too bad. I liked the family dynamics and thought Joan was an interesting character to be with. Cecile, too. Victor's interior interactions with the Rougarou were fun, and him being trapped within himself was probably the most horror-like uh, this got for me. Also, salt bones are cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I, I, he said a lot of what we also thought as well, I think, for the most part. Yeah, I think we're on the same page with him in that, in that respect, mm-hmm. for sure. That's all the questions and comments we received. Um, do we have any final thoughts? Overall, a good time. I feel like I had more complaints than I thought initially, but like overall, I, I did enjoy... Uh, the the story and I, I'm I enjoyed it. It was how do I convey this? Like I didn't hate the book. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I had some complaints, but overall, good time. Would is it fair to say you weren't wowed by it, but you generally enjoyed it? It was like a yeah. I don't get the impression that you disliked it. I'm just saying I'm I'm, I'm with you. No, I definitely didn't dislike it. Definitely not like because you guys know when I dislike a book because I will just be like I hate yeah. it. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, let's look back on us talking about the later parts of imaginary friend (laughs) yeah (laughs) um overall good time i am not i don't regret reading it um i wouldn't be opposed to reading more from the author yeah i just feel like there was maybe some more polish that it needed same i think the character development in this is great um the story could be a bit stronger. I love the concept. Um, I love the use of different cultures and also Métis culture as well. And the fact that the author herself is Métis, this, it makes it even a stronger story. Mm-hmm. I think the ending was where I was the most disappointed, but for the most part, still a good read, still enjoyable. I don't regret reading it. I liked what I got and I had a good time reading it. And if a book can get me not even because of our schedule for when we read it but if a book can make me sit down and read it all in one afternoon that's a good sign uh engaging read kept me going enjoyed it very much glad i own a physical copy of it because it's one i might look back out back on again and there are moments in there that that really uh stick with me just some good visual stuff good uh motifs i give this uh, a big thumbs up yeah the, the parts that worked, worked really well. Mm. For me, it's like, even the parts that didn't work as well, it's like, well, this is, feels like more of a preference thing. Mm. I get why some of, I, especially after this discussion, I get why some of these worked more thematically um, and that they would have got, they went a different direction than I was expecting. I know what I would have liked, but it's, you know, did it serve the story better? Maybe. I just know, I just, after everything that happened, I just wanted to know that Victor and Joan get the whole situation and just live their happy lives yes (laughs) I guess I'm going to continue to be facetious about it so for our next read uh, for May we are going to actually be reading a play 
so and this is a play that's available online so anyone can read it anyone can access it and the play is called feathers and teeth by sharice castro smith so for those who don't know sharice castro smith is uh, one of the directors and writers for Encanto. And apparently she wrote horror in her past. And I- I've read this before. I enjoyed it. I'm curious to see what you guys think of it. So <laughs> I do look forward to rereading this. I- I've never read this before. So I'm, I'm, I'm super down. And a play is very different. So absolutely. Yes. It'll be it'll be interesting to read a play. Um, I'm intrigued. As long as we don't have to perform it. <laughs> well, there's only four people. <laughs> okay, to... we just got to recruit a four. So, if, so if David does a voice, you know what? <laughs> the three of us. You know do. what? You know, you know, you know. <laughs> don't tempt me. Don't tempt me. Dear Sharice Castro Smith, I would like to turn your play yeah, into. Well, how do we get the usage rights to do this on a podcast to perform this play? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we should go ask the folks over in that uh, pop up revival tent if they'll let us perform the play. If you like what you hear, uh, check out our other podcasts on the Creative Horror Network at creativehorror.com. We have other awesome podcasts like uh, Undercooked Analysis, uh, old episodes of Midnight Marinara, as well as as um, our newest podcast, The Jameson Tapes, which I highly recommend. You can also check us out on YouTube. Uh, Just look up Creative Horror and we'll be the first ones there. Uh, Also, because we did read a uh, a book about uh, a Canadian Indigenous woman, um, we also wanted to um, put this out there uh, about the Willow Project. I think, say, do you want to provide more details on that? Sure, yeah. Um, We wanted to take this opportunity um, to bring attention to the Willow Project, which is a huge issue going on right now. Um, ConocoPhillips is a big oil company. They own a lot of land up in Alaska, and they are... Well, they have been approved. Um, a federal job ha- federal judge has approved for them to start drilling and mining in the north slope of Alaska, um, beginning with just blasting the tundra with uh, explosives. And this is um, a huge issue because, one, there are still lawsuits going on right now to investigate the impacts that this is going to have. And we know for a fact that it is going to leave so much irreversible ecological damage to the area and there also are indigenous communities that rely on the caribou that live um, and migrate through those areas that are going to then be forced away because of all of the noise and the mining Um, so it's going to really jeopardize um, the resources that these communities rely on and so there is a call to action right now that uh, you can uh, Right. We have like a, there's a letter already like filled out that you just need to fill in your details, send to your representatives. We're going to provide a link in our show notes to that and to more information on the Willow Project. So we really strongly encourage you guys to take time to do that um, and to learn a bit more about it. And while you're there, uh, maybe look into what's going on with ICWA right now which is the Indian Child Welfare Act that is being challenged right now. Um, And that is also super concerning because what that does is when there is um, an indigenous child 
in need of uh, foster parents or a new family, um, ICWA makes sure that they then that they go to someone else in their family. And if there isn't someone in their family available, like immediate family, they go to someone in their tribe. And if not someone in their tribe, at least someone in the indigenous community so that child can grow up in their culture and continue learning um, about their ancestry and where they come from. Otherwise, they end up in majority white homes with Christian families who don't prioritize um, making sure that they have access to their own, to their roots. Um, so it's a huge issue um, that I, I am very concerned about. So please look into that too. Check out the Willow stuff that we link and yeah. Well said. Thank you. Educate yourselves. Thank you. Well, thank you. Like it's good to have all this information and uh, yeah, consider supporting these. It would mean a lot to us and well to the, everybody involved as well. And, you know, keep, keep an eye out for things that, that you can do to help people in these in situations like this. Um, mm-hmm. Especially when a cause is environmental, it really speaks to me. So, mm-hmm. And with the Willow Project right now, like, we have some good news in that there are a lot of, like, representatives, like 32 um, from different states that are signed on right now to um, keep this from happening. Uh, and we also have allies in Germany because um, this goes internationally um, that are working to stop the Willow Project. So, like, we just really got to make an effort um, to do what we can. For sure. We're now just wandering through these woods, and I think we're talking about the Riveru, and I think we found some. Si- oh, oh, it's just a Walmart parking lot. Yeah, I noticed that there's a pop-up tent over there. Should we go check it out? I would rather take the Ruger than freaking Revival Well, tent. tell you what, I'll go in there when no one's looking and steal that green wingback chair. And then we can at least have that. <laughs> Good evening, intrepid listeners. This is the Pasta Shade, the host of Midnight Marinera, and this podcast is part of CreativeHorror.com, a network of podcasts and creators working together to build a constructive community of horror fans. For more content like this, visit us at CreativeHorror.com. <laughs>